first is communication, just being as open, transparent, and communicative as possible. And communication is difficult, especially when you're scaling. Repetition is everything. If you said something so many times that you're starting to get uncomfortable about it, then that's probably almost good enough, but probably not quite there. You're listening to Seedcamp First, the definitive guide to help early stage founders get their companies off the ground, brought to you exclusively through the wisdom and lessons learned from some of the brightest minds across the Seedcamp nation. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Seedcamp Firsts. You're joining for part two with the wonderful Rona Ruthen. Rona's an operator, angel investor, excellent mentor with us at Seedcamp, and she has an incredible experience across the tech world in various roles, including VP of Customer Operations at Monzo, where she scaled the company from 1 million to six, all largely over a pandemic. And she has more than 15 years of experience in fintech, financial services, and payment solutions in companies in Israel and the UK. She also led operations at Seedcamp-backed fintech company Curve and has previously led business units and processes at online freelance marketplace Fiverr and global payment company Payoneer. Welcome back, Rona. Thank you. That was great. I don't have to do it myself anymore. Well, you can hire me. I will come around with you. Very, very happy to be your hype woman. Thank you. I'll do that. (laughs) So part one was full of so much goodness that we had to do another one. And here we are for part two. Very excited to have you back, Corona. So in the first episode, we talked a lot about the early stages and building up sort of operations in those early stages. And today we're all about scaling. And with the idea being that when you're scaling, change is the only constant. Let's start with that idea of change. I know you're smiling because you've had to really embrace it. The key is everyone looks for the sort of hockey stick growth. And that's what every company is trying to achieve. It's just that when you get there, it's super, super painful. And you get all of the unexpected. You want to be happy about onboarding more customers than you planned, but actually it's super painful internally. And you have all of the growing pains of a company that's now growing super fast from let's say 50 to 100 to 150 and sometimes to 500 and 1,000 people when you probably don't have the right people to manage it that way or you have great people but they don't have the experience and it's hard for them to scale themselves up. And so basically everything is moving up and everyone's required to perform at a very, very different level to what they expected to be doing while you're also trying to actually be really, really happy about it. So quite painful. And going back to what you said, yes, change is the only constant. I think I mentioned this last time. I think when we join startups and when we sell a startup dream, like come it's high pace you're going to be doing different things and it's all great thing but the reality of ambiguity is actually quite challenging and when you come in at the start of the day and you're like I know what I'm going to be doing I've got one two three on my to-do list and you end up doing six seven eight and maybe a 12 and a 14 that you didn't even know existed it's sometimes fun but more often than not it's actually very confusing you end up in so many conversations about prioritization. You're not sure you're focusing on the right thing, trying to balance urgent and importance. And all of these things are great scale up challenges, but you have to embrace that you just don't know what it's going to feel like and what it's going to look like. And unless you get there quite quickly and get a lot of people to feel the same about change, it's very, very difficult to do it. So let's dig into that, this idea of ambiguity, which really is the only thing that you know is going to be there. 
And it's inevitable, right? And you were sort of saying, it's almost you have to be careful what you wish for because you're wishing for this growth, but then actually the repercussions of what that has for the organization that perhaps isn't as primed and ready for it as you might hope. So how do you recommend or what great examples have you seen of how founders and executives can really bring everyone along for that journey and embrace change as you scale? First is communication, just being as open, transparent and communicative as possible. And communication is difficult, especially when you're scaling. My tip for communication, by the way, is just there's never too much of it. Repetition is everything in communication. If you said something so many times that you're starting to get uncomfortable about it, then that's probably almost good enough, but probably not quite there. I I can't emphasize that enough, basically. So I would say first, you want everyone to be fully aligned with the vision of the company, priorities, what you're trying to achieve, right? Because if you get everyone behind that, everything else gets easier. It sounds simple, but when you're a company that let's say where you were 50 people three months ago, you're now 75, you're going to be 150 in six months, then maybe not everyone remembers the priorities or the vision or understands it in the same way. And so actually you have to say it over and over and over again. And it starts with that. And then also having conversations like this, when we actually say, yes, the startups and scale-ups are fun, they're exciting, they're the best place to be. I wouldn't change it for the world, but they're also very, very difficult. And you have to just acknowledge that. But I think I probably mentioned this last time. Warn people when they come in through the door or through the hiring process, especially when you're a high growth company, telling people this is hard, this is different, this is change all the time. You sign up to one role, it may look completely different in a week and it's definitely going to be completely different in six months and you either have to get on board or you're just not going to enjoy your ride. So I would say a lot of communication around what it feels like to work in a scale up. I love that. And the idea of repetition, because to become excellent at things, especially if you think about in athletics and stuff, you train things and you repeat and repeat and repeat. Whereas when it comes often to business or even personal life, you feel the idea of having to repeat yourself is a negative and you shouldn't have to do it. Whereas actually we have to reframe that thinking and the repetition is helpful if it means that we're getting the message across and bringing people along with us. A hundred percent. When I got the role of managing all customer operations at Monzo, and this was 800 people at the time, then grew to 1200 people. That was my biggest learning. Communication was my biggest fear in a group as big as that. And that was my biggest learning. It didn't matter how many times I said something or my team said the same thing to their teams. Uh, it almost felt like it was never enough, even when we understood that that was the key. And you could have different channels, different people communicating the same message, different times, different mediums, whatever you think about but just use it, use that repetition because it does make a difference. And, you know, you want that feeling where you wake up any team member at the middle of the night and you're like, what's our goal for this quarter? And they know exactly what you're going to say. You want everyone feeling that way. I love that. Something I'm going to keep reminding myself as well. So thank you for that. So prioritization is obviously key. And when fires happen, the priorities have to shift to whatever is the most pressing thing at that moment. So what frameworks do you use or do you recommend for prioritization? And how do you approach prioritizing actual like internal tools and efficiencies within an organization itself? I actually believe that it's worth taking the time and building out business cases, not necessarily to the extent that maybe some of us think of a sort of corporate business case that you spend six months building just to decide if you want to do a thing. But spending a few days looking at all the data and understanding or estimating how much work it would take, what impact would it have on different teams across the company, what involvement you would need from different teams, whether that's security teams or compliance. I'm a fintech person by trade. So just thinking about all of these things and then 
what is the benefit of doing this thing and what is the cost to the business in different shapes and forms of doing this that helps prioritizing against other things that you're doing and it sounds like a lot of work but actually that's also a really good way of getting conviction around how you decide to prioritize within the company and then when it comes to internal tooling or operational processes that's where it gets tricky but also that's been my career battle in a way I do believe that there should be product and engineering teams within operations because it is very very tricky to prioritize across both the growth and revenue side of the business against operational efficiencies and customer experience. And so actually separating them out to some extent makes a a huge difference in being able to achieve all of these four goals. Because ultimately, if you think about growth, revenue and operational efficiency, it feels like the faster, cheaper, better equation that you can't actually choose all three. And so separating it out and having different teams uh, prioritize different elements of that equation is a good way to go. But then again, it's about making strategic decisions for the business in terms of what your priorities are. You have to be really clear about what your goals are, because otherwise, how do you prioritize one feature against another or one change against another? It has to be prioritized against what you're trying to achieve as a business, which again, with communication, with transparency, should lead to really good alignment across the company. It all sounds great. When we're having this conversation, it's a bit more complicated in real life. But that's what I would start with. The sort of waterfall of company goals. How does that align to metrics that we want to achieve? How does that look like in terms of feature? How do these features stack against one another? And what would it take for the business to actually get all these things done? And how far you go with each of these phases, that could vary depending on where you are as a company. It could be a two-hour exercise or a two-day exercise or a two-week exercise. And I guess just actually like time boxing and allowing yourself the time for it, because it's always that tussle, isn't it? There are the things that need to be done here, but delaying putting the thinking into those bigger-term projects, like, actually is really detrimental if we just constantly push it to the back. Yeah. And also when you consider that we're talking about scale-ups, that's also when the company starts growing in terms of the number of sort of layers you have to convince about doing something. So you might have a senior leadership team or an executive leadership team. So it's not just getting your own conviction that this is the right thing to do. You also have to convince and get buy-in from more people across the company and so actually doing the exercise is not just for you to get comfortable with it but also how do you then communicate to people across the company whether it's different teams or different stakeholders is the right thing to do and that it's worth fighting for how do you recommend as organizations grow and scale and there is more of those layers and hierarchy how do you recommend that different functions and the leaders actually present ideas up to that senior or executive leadership team what are the best examples you can speak to of how people do that across a whole organization good question i don't know if this is controversial but i'm quite a believer in okrs I don't think it makes a huge difference if you call them OKRs or goals or whatever, but I think marrying a top-down and a bottom-up approach is where I see the most benefit, where the top-down is, I want to know what the company goals are, or I want to decide what the company goals are, and then I want to have the people on the ground or the people who are building the product come up with the best ideas for how we achieve them. And that's how you get the sort of long list initially, and then you can turn it into a short list and then eventually make those decisions and bring it all the way up the ladder. There are different ways of doing it. You could have product reviews where people present different ideas and then also review the progress in building them. You could have quarterly OKR or planning sessions where you just spend the time figuring out what we're going to do over the next few months. The cadence of planning can change materially because it could be 
yearly goals and then six month planning and three month future planning. I think the key for scale ups is that actually there is no one answer in terms of how you do this. And the key is actually every six months you stop and you figure out if the way you're doing it right now is working. If the planning is working for you, if the cadence is working for you, if enough people feel bought in across different levels, whether that's the executive team or the people who are actually building the features and products. So I think when you scale up, the key is actually not what is the right answer, but is it working for us now? And do we need to change it? And I guess being comfortable with what got you here might not get you to that next stage. And it might have worked, but actually revisiting things because it may be time to think of something different. Even the change between having two products teams to having five or seven or 10, it's a huge difference in terms of how the company should be run. There are so many people to coordinate between. There are so many decisions about staffing and what to build, how to build it, when to build it, when to launch. And so many questions come up that you didn't have to deal with before. Just figuring out what's the process to get to those decisions. It's going to be different now than it was six months ago. And it's going to be different in six months than what it is now. to that change being the only constant <laughs> got to yeah. embrace it so look we know that in startups and scale-ups period hiring is one of the most difficult things and finding the right people to take on the journey and help navigate those different stages of what the company needs but you have done a very exceptional job at building high performing teams over your career how have you gone about doing that any guidance of what you look for or the sort of people you've brought in to help achieve that It's a really great question, mostly because I don't have a good answer. When you think of scale-ups, you usually get into these positions where you have some team members already in place because either you personally inherited a team or you grew into a team, but there's already something there in place. And so I think the first stage is understanding the different skill sets and different personalities, what's working well and what isn't within a team. And then where do you need to get to? So in understanding the people that you already have, I actually like personality tests. I don't know if that's weird. I've also read articles that actually say that they're upon my French, but they're crap. But I do think that they're a really common language that you can use to understand different people and how they work and how they communicate. So, for example, if you know the insights workshop where you get different colors and they represent different parts of your personality, for what it's worth, I'm 97% red, which is very action oriented and and not surprising to people who work with me. I cut to the chase. I'm very direct. All of these things, it's very clear in my sort of personality test outcomes, but it actually helps in understanding how that affects people around me and helps them understand how to communicate with me and the same for people in the team who might be very yellow or might be very blue and once you create that language that actually helps in how you work as a team that's one thing that I do recommend doing and there are different types of tests it's actually it doesn't matter which one I think it's more about how do you create a language to, to understand different personalities and how they interact and then it's about understanding again going back to company priorities team priorities setting really clear goals for your part of the company and how it interfaces with other parts of the company and once you understand that you can start asking questions around do we have the right skill set do we have the right capacity do we have the right focus on values some of the softer qualities that actually create a successful high-performing team and then you can start looking at job descriptions and how it all fits together i also strongly believe in the sort of amazon approach for single-threaded leadership so ideally you create teams where there is one clear leader i also like being queen of my own kingdom when i manage teams (laughs) honestly it's just easier for everyone when there's a very clear hierarchy not for the sake of hierarchy but for the sake of decision making and structure if everyone is 
owning different parts of what you're building and then knows who to interact with, it's just easier to get things done. And so I do recommend having single-threaded leadership, very clear teams, ideally cross-functional, where they can actually get things done from beginning to end. And then just seeing how that all works together in terms of sort of personalities, values, interaction, and then just spend time together. I like to mix very focused agenda-driven meetings with some very light, no agenda chats that could be either work-related or personal. Vulnerability-based trust, as corny as it sounds, these are really, really great exercises that just get people to get to know each other, understand who they're working with, and become a team. It's worth the effort. Love that. Thank you so much. So many different resources and things we can be looking at. And I definitely find the actually understanding how people like their personalities and also how they communicate and how to get the best out of them are things that should be so obvious because we should want to get the best out of our teams, but people often neglect it or they bulldoze through and ignore it. And I've noticed investing in that sort of side of things makes such a difference culturally and cohesively in terms of how teams can work together, especially as you scale and add more contrasting personalities and types of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's also just more fun. You want to enjoy working with people around you, right? So the better you understand them and the better you know what triggers them in a good way or a bad way the more you can have a nice working environment and then to maybe connect the dots between a few things that we said once you create that high performing team you also have to assume that you may need different things in six to 12 months and that you have to be really mindful of their progression because especially when you hire high performing ambitious people they would want to know what the next stage is for them you have to match that up with what's happening in the company with what's happening in the product and to always keep an eye on that so it's a constant focus i personally really enjoy it i know not all managers do but i think for most managers and leaders actually if you invest in that part everything in your job gets easier because you have amazing people doing amazing things with you thank you rona something that is so important like making sure that the people that you bring in can actually grow and have the room to grow alongside the business while also knowing there are some bits that are just not certain because you don't know where the business is going to be in six months time exactly i want to bring this all together and i'm going to ask you a tough question which is If there was a single learning, one, to take away from your experiences in scaling Monzo and that you'd impart as wisdom to other people, what would it be? Great question. I've given this a lot of thoughts, trying to figure out what I would have done differently. I think we were always conscious of some of the fires that were burning. There was always a big one and a couple of small ones. But I think we didn't always take the time to have a structured review of what's going to break next. And sometimes you have a gut feeling and you know that that thing is not as robust as it should be and and it's likely to break. But actually, what I would do now in any company that I work at, I would have a list of all the things that I should probably just take a look at every six months or so. And that could be org structure, personal development, delivery, specific operational or other processes, features, depending on what the company is doing. And I would just say, okay this is fine, this is on fire, but we're on top of it. This is fine, but probably will break in a year. This is actually likely to blow up in three months and I should actually do something about it now. So I think just being able to have a more structured view of the different fires and the ones that are coming up that you may have not thought about would make things a lot easier. One eye on the fires that aren't even there yet. Yeah. One of the examples at Monzo was, and this is no one's fault. This was, again, we were hyper growth and there was COVID. There were so many things going on. We had an office in Vegas and it was open for what seemed like a good decision at the time, started with 80 people and quite quickly grew to 150. And at that point, we realized that actually 
it wasn't the right choice for us to actually have an office in Vegas, which in hindsight, I would have wanted to be able to look at and make that decision a year earlier. It would have been less painful and it would have been more appropriate. We didn't make the right decision and I'm very proud in the way that we handled it. We could have done it earlier, but there were other fires and we just didn't know, basically. So many questions about why Vegas, but we'll have to save that for next time. Bro, thank you so much for joining us on Seed Camp First. I could honestly speak to you for hours. Really appreciate you and everything that you do for the staff. Likewise. Thank you so much for joining us, Rena. Take care. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.